चैप्टर सेकंड ऑफ द असोल्ट ऑन माउंट एवरेस्ट 1922 दिस इज अ लिब्रीबॉक्स रिकॉर्डिंग ऑल लिब्रीबॉक्स रिकॉर्डिंग्स आर इन द पब्लिक डोमेन फॉर मोर इंफॉर्मेशन और टू वॉलेंटियर प्लीज विजिट librivox.org रिकॉर्डिंग बाय प्राजक्ता द असोल्ट ऑन माउंट एवरेस्ट 1922 बाय वेरियस ऑथर्स द असोल्ट ऑन द माउंटेन Now began in earnest our race against the monsoon. I have often been asked since my return whether we should not have done better if we had started sooner. I think none of us would have cared to have arrived at our upper Rongbuk camp a fortnight earlier in the year, nor having done so would any good purpose have been served. As it was, the temperature and the coldness of the wind was as much as any of us could keep up with and still keep our good health this was to be our base camp at a height of 16500 feet we made suitable dumps of stores pitched our mess tents put all our porters in tents at their own particular places and made ourselves as comfortable as circumstances allowed strengthening the tents in every way to resist the wind noel also pitched his developing tent near the small stream that issues from the rongbuk glacier on our arrival water was hardly available all the running streams were frozen hard and we drove the whole of our animals over them where the glacier stream flowed fastest in the center we got sufficient water for drinking purposes the establishment and support of such a large party for we were 13 europeans and over 60 of what may be termed other ranks in a country as desolate and as bare as the bait is a difficulty there is of course no fuel to be found with the exception of a very little scrubby root which burnt in large quantities would heat an oven but which was not good enough or plentiful enough for ordinary cooking purposes our first work beyond the establishment of the base camp was immediately to send out a reconnaissance party strut was put in charge of this and chose as his assistants norton longstaff and morshead the remainder of the party had to work very hard dividing stores and arranging for the movement up to the different camps we wished to make on the way up the east rongbuk glacier to the north colony it was pretty apparent from major wheeler's map that our advance up the east rongbuk to the glacier crossed by mr mallory in 1921 which is below the changla would not be a very difficult road but it was a very considerable question how many camps should be established and how full provision should be made for each we were naturally very anxious to save our own porters for the much more strenuous work of establishing our camp at the north col and perhaps of further camps up the mountain i had therefore on our march up made every possible endeavor to collect a large number of tibetan coolies in order that they should be employed in moving all the heavy stuff 
as far up the glacier as possible. In fact, until we came to ground, which would not be suitable to them or rather not suitable to their clothing. They were perfectly willing to work on any ground which was fairly dry, but their form of foot covering would certainly not allow of continual work in snow. We had a promise of 90 men. We further had to make full arrangements for a regular supply of yak dung, the whole of which, as in fact everything to burn in Tibet, is called shing, which really means wood. All our fuel, therefore, from now on, will be referred to as shing. All sampa means flour, meat and grain for the main had to be procured as far down as Kobu, Taishing Hong and even from other villages still further down the Zakarchu. That is to say, very often our supplies were brought up from at least 40 miles distant. We required a pretty continuous flow of everything. It is wonderful how much even 70 men can get through. The preliminary reconnaissance had fixed an excellent camp as our first stage out. Jeffrey Bruce and Morris with our own porters went up and so as to save tents, built a number of stone shelters and roof with spare parts of tents. This camp was immediately provisioned and filled with every kind of supply in large amounts in order to form again a little base from which to move up further. Strutt returned with his reconnaissance on May 9, having made a complete plan for our advance and having fixed all our camps up to the flat glacier under the North Coal. During this period, Finch had also been very active with his oxygen apparatus, not only in getting it all together, but continuing the training of the personnel and in making experiments with the Leonard Hill apparatus as well. He also gave lectures and demonstrations on the use of our primer stove, with which everybody practiced. Primer stoves are excellent when they are carefully treated. But our kettle cattle, unless everything goes quite as it should and are apt to blow up, Longstaff suffered considerably on the reconnaissance and was brought down not too fit. We also had a real setback. Our 90 coolies did not eventuate, only 45 appearing and these coolies only worked for about two days. When they said that their food was exhausted, and they must go down for more. We took the best guarantee we could for their return by keeping back half their pay. They went for more food but found it in their houses and stopped there. We never saw them again. However, it is not to be wondered at. If ploughing in the upper valleys is to be done at all, it is to be done in May. They were therefore very anxious to get back to their homes. 90 men is a big toll for these valleys to supply, but their behavior left us rather dispirited. We had to turn everyone on to work and then we had to make every possible exertion to collect further coolies from the different villages. The Kongela who came with us 
and who understood our needs was frantic but said he could do nothing however we persuaded him to do something at any rate and further offered very high prices to all the men who had come he certainly played up and did his very best men came up in driblets or rather men women and children came as everyone in this country can carry loads and they seem to be quite unaffected by sleeping out under rocks at 16000 or 17000 feet for the whole time we remained at the rongbuk base camp the equipping and supply of our first and second camps up the east rongbuk was mostly carried out by local coolies and the supply of these was very difficult to assure we never knew whether we should have 3 or 4 men working or 30 they came up for different periods so that we would often have a dozen men coming down and four or five going up and in order to keep their complete confidence they were received and paid personally by myself or the transport officers by degrees their confidence was restored and a very fair stream of porters arrived not only that but many of the men's own relations came over from sola khumbu which is a great sherpa settlement at the head of the dutkosi valley in nepal to reach us they had to cross the gangba la sometimes called khumbu la which is 19000 feet in height often the men's relations came and were willing to carry a load or two and then go off again the mothers often brought their children even of less than a year old who did not apparently suffer it is evidently a case of the survival of the fittest we had brought also large stores of rice sugar tea and wheat grain both for the use of the officers of the expedition and of the porters for fear we should run short of grain and this proved a great standby the very rough sampa of tibet is often upsetting even to those most accustomed to it it was found to be an excellent policy to feed our porters on the good grain when they came down to the base camp and to use the sampa which is cooked and ready for eating at the upper camps meat also had to be bought low down sheep killed low down in the valleys and brought up for the use of the officers and men and often fresh yak meat for the porters the gurkhas got the fresh mutton dried meat was brought up in large quantities for the porters and proved of the greatest use on the return having received a full report from the reconnaissance party we tackled in earnest the establishment of the different camps camp 3 which was under the north col was first established in full this was to be our advance base of operations and mallory and summerwell established themselves there their business being to make the road to the north col while the rest of the expedition was being pushed up to join them on may 13 mallory summerwell and one coolie together with a tent reached the north col and planted the tent there this must be described as the beginning of the great offensive of may 1922 owing to the lack of coolies 
All our officers and men had been working at the highest possible speed, pushing forward the necessary stores, camp equipage and fuel to camps 1 and 2, and from thence moving on to camp 3. Gurkhas being planted at each stage, whose business it was to take the convoys to and fro. Finally, camp 1, 2 and 3 were each provided with an independent cook. The duties of the cook at camp 3 were the duties of an ordinary cook in camp. Those of the cooks at camps 1 and 2 were to provide all officers passing through or staying there with meals as they were required and right well all these three men carried out their duties. The distance from the base camp to the advance base at camp 3 was fairly evenly divided. Camp 1 being at about 3 hours journey for a laden animal at a height of 17,800 feet. Camp 2 a further 4 hours up the glaciers at a height of 19,800 feet and directly below the lesser peak which terminates the northern ridge of Everest. Camp 3 on Moraine at the edge of the open glacier below the Changla at a height of 20,000 feet, about 4 hours again beyond Camp 2. As our supply of Tibetan coolies improved and as the main bulk of the necessary supplies was put into Camp 3 and the oxygen and its complete outfit had been deposited in this camp, the hard work of supplying rations and fuel to Camp 1 and 2 was entirely in the hands of the local Tibetans. From Camp 2 to Camp 3, one encounters real mountaineering conditions as crevassed glaciers have to be crossed, requiring in places considerable care. The road from the base camp to Camp 2, rough enough in all conscience, was such as could very easily be negotiated by mountain people. On May 14th, Strut, Morshead and Norton left to join the advance party at Camp 3. The weather was even worse than before, the wind blowing a perfect hurricane during the daytime and the thermometer sinking to zero even in the base camp. I asked the Chongela why it should be that as summer was approaching, the weather should be continuously worse. He accounted for this without any difficulty. He said, in the middle of the month, each month, in fact, at the Rongpuk Monastery, there were special services held. These services invariably irritated the demons on the mountains and they attempted to put a stop to them by roaring more than usually loud. As soon as the services stopped, these winds would stop too. The services stopped on May 17 and the Chongela said we would expect better weather on that date. On May 16, the last of the oxygen with Finch left for the upper camps and it is a curious thing that about that time the weather did slightly improve. On May 20, I received a letter from Strut telling me of the establishment of the camp on the North Coal. He himself also accompanied the party that reached the North Coal. Here they made a very considerable encampment and put in it such light stores and cooking apparatus 
as would be available for parties stopping there and attacking the mountain from that spot it is very curious how on this expedition the standard of what we expected from all our members went up it was looked upon as a foregone conclusion that any member of the party could walk with comfort to the north pole 23000 feet it is quite right no doubt that the standard should have been set so high but it is a little amazing when one comes to think that only on one occasion before has a night been spent as high as 23000 feet and that on very very few occasions has this height been even attained strut was quite by way of looking upon himself as a worn out old gentleman because he felt tired at 23000 feet no doubt that is the standard we should set for ourselves but even 23000 feet is a tremendous undertaking and no one at any time or at any age of life need be anything but pleased with himself if he can get there the party established at camp 3 made little expeditions to the lakpala and rapiola and obtained a fine view of makalu and the northern face of everest but the views so obtained also gave them a sight of the approaching monsoon and this made everyone very nervous about the length of time there was left to us for our actual attack on the mountain it was this very point including also the evidence of rough and uncertain weather which had been experienced round the mountain itself that decided strut to allow four members to make an attempt on the mountain without oxygen certain defects had been found in the oxygen apparatus and finch was employed in rectifying these difficulties and at the same time he was not quite ready to proceed further jeffrey bruce was also working with him at camp 3 and made great progress in the use of the oxygen they also roped in as their assistant the gurkha tejbir having for him a special role it is not for me to describe in detail the great attempt on the mountain made by the party consisting of mallory summerwell morsed and norton but i must point out quite clearly that as a tour de force alone it stands in my opinion by itself it was the most terrific exertion carried out during unfavorable weather and in the face of that dreadful west wind not only did they reach the prodigious height of 26985 feet without the assistance of oxygen but they passed a night at 25000 feet i think it is pretty clear from their accounts that any further expedition must be clothed in windproof suitings and these of the lightest when attacking everest or probably any other great mountain in this particular part of the world morshead who suffered far more than any of the others from the cold did not employ his windproof suiting in the early part of the climb and i believe by his omission he very greatly decreased his vitality and it was probably this decrease 
विच वॉज द रीजन ऑफ हिज टेरिबल फ्रॉस्ट बाइट्स इट वॉज अ ट्रिमेंडस एफर्ट अनपेरल इन द हिस्ट्री ऑफ माउंटेन एक्सप्लोरेशन बट इट गेव इमेन्स कॉन्फिडेंस टू ऑल दैट द माउंटेन वॉज नॉट अनकॉन्करेबल इफ ऑन द फर्स्ट ओकेजन सच अजेंटिक हाइट कुड बी रीच वी वेर प्रिटी सर्टन दैट लेटर विद द एक्सपीरियंस सो गेन्ड एंड विद द वेदर इन द क्लाइंबर्स फेवर इंस्टेड ऑफ द हॉरेबल कंडीशन अंडर विच दिस क्लाइंब वॉज अंडरटेकन the mountain would in time yield to assault the following day notwithstanding their fatigue they determined to get down to camp 1 they certainly were a sight on arrival i have never seen such a crowd of swollen and blistered and weary mountaineers before but they were all naturally tremendously elated with their performance strut came down with them and quite rightly too he had been a very long time living about 21000 feet and this in itself is a great strain i thoroughly endorse his judgment in making this great attempt without oxygen at first sight it would seem that it was not wise to send so many of the blessed climbers at once on the mountain before the oxygen apparatus was ready but he felt and i consider he was quite right that as the weather was so bad and the monsoon was evidently arriving before its time and as at the moment the oxygen apparatus was in such a doubtful condition it was far better to make an attempt than possibly to fail in making any attempt at all during the time that the great attempt on the mountain without oxygen was being made Finch was employed in getting the oxygen apparatus into order. It had suffered in a good many ways and the method of inhaling the oxygen appeared to be deficient. The face masks in fact causing a feeling of suffocation and not allowing a sufficiency of ordinary air to be inhaled. Finch had a very difficult time getting all these apparatus into order in this very high camp. it would have been difficult anywhere but up here in the great cold and the great height it was infinitely more troublesome as soon as the apparatus was in working order they made numerous training walks up on to the passes looking down into the heart of the kharta valley from where they were able to see the southern faces of the himalaya and to know the way in which the clouds were pushing up from the south they had also instructed to a certain extent the gurkha tejbir bura in the use of oxygen as they intended him to help them in their advance on the mountain end of section 3